This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. We have a special guest today on a pretty pertinent topic, I think, heading into training camp in the coming weeks. Uh, Before we get there, though, I want to talk to you, as usual, about our sponsor here at Blue Wire Podcasting Network, and that's BetOnline.ag. The NBA, the MLB are back among golf, NASCAR, many others that are still trickling back in. And uh, you should should go to BetOnline.ag, take advantage of the welcome bonus using the promo code BLUEWIRE, to, uh, to take advantage of the opportunities to make some money with sports back. That means gambling's back, and you can put some money in your pocket, and betonline.ag is who we believe in to make that happen for you. So again, go to betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE, take advantage of that welcome bonus, and make yourself some money heading in to the back half of 2020. Make it a better year. So, you know, what we're going to do here is talk uh, offensive line. I think I've been Writing on this all off season, the Y zone implementation. I'm not the only one. A lot of people have been talking about this and how Kevin Stefanski is bringing it to Cleveland and how the Browns personnel fits. I wrote a four piece study on the whole offensive system that Stefanski will bring. And uh, I've talked about the offensive line and nauseam. And, and really, I like to bring in somebody who studies these things specifically. We had Brandon Thorne on last year before the season. Um, you know, a lot of people are pretty high on the Browns offensive line and the big acquisitions of Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills and figuring out where Wyatt Teller fits. So I wanted to bring Brandon on. He's, he's wrote for the athletic in the past. Uh, he's firmly with Establish the run, which is a great site that, uh, offers many different things, uh, you know, betting advice and, uh, fantasy football and, you know, Evan, Evan Silva works with them. They do, they do great stuff. We've had Evan on this podcast too. And Brandon is sort of the film you know, player study aspect of that whole site, and he does a great job. And he's really been one that I pay attention to what he thinks of offensive lines. He's been putting out some rankings by individual positions lately, and he wrote a fantastic article 
uh, on on ranking the all 32 comprehensive offensive lines, so the whole groups and where the Browns sit. And we are going to talk to him about that, get his insight on how the X's and O's work, what the teaching points are of wide zone, and how the Browns personnel fits into the whole thing. So make sure you're following Brandon. He's at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. And, uh, and join Establish the Run. It's money well spent, especially if you're looking for fantasy and betting, gambling advice. They do, they do fantastic stuff. And Brandon puts out a mismatch article uh, every week that is – that is really, really interesting in terms of telling you which matchups are likely to tilt the favor of uh, a key position up front. You know, maybe a matchup between a uh, you know an, an offensive tackle and a defensive end that's going to be overwhelming or that could tip the balance. And it really ended up playing out well for the betting, uh, the betting market for for the established run. So make sure you're going there and doing that. So let's get over to our interview uh, with Brandon Thorne and and uh, learn about what he thinks of the Browns' offensive line. So Brandon, I'm excited to have you on, man. I think it. With with I've wrote about this. I'm I'm not I I I played quarterback. I've I've uh, I've coached offense. I've coached quarterbacks, wide receivers, but I've never really coached offensive line. And and you know all play callers, Stefanski included, and as he worked with Dennison last year, you need insight from your offensive line coaches about game planning and protection and all of those things. And so when I try to break down this stuff, and I broke down the wide zone implementation that Stefanski's bringing to Cleveland. I tried to do my best with it as a guy who doesn't focus on this. So when, when you and I have the opportunity to get together, I'm excited because this is this is your bread and butter. This is the stuff you love, and you can tell people things I can't. So, you know, the basic question I have for you as we start here is kind of what about the wide zone? And I know it, it implemented itself in the late 80s, 90s, and it's it's been around forever. But what about it has, has captivated the NFL of late with the quarterback collective group and all of that stuff? Like, what about it is so good um, at the NFL level, particularly, that makes teams like Cleveland and San Francisco, who are, are making it, you know, or have made it a part of their bread and butter, like, what about it is such a draw at this level? Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that are a draw. I think, you know, first, um, it really tests the defense's discipline. Uh, because I think a lot of defenses today, they play what Alex Gibbs would call like a hang style of defense, which is like inside out pursuit. Now there's some fast flow defenses, you know, that are, you know, kind of the opposite of that. Uh, that's where tight zone kind of comes in, but, but wide zone is effective against those defenses that pursue inside out predominantly, um, just because it stretches them and it really, you know, tests their discipline as far as like reading their keys and things like that. Because if they just lose leverage a little bit on a blocker and get a little bit too far outside of their their gap, then they're liable to just get pushed out of the play and create a cutback lane. And when you do that against defenders who aren't typically that adept at, you know, run defense, um, you know, linebackers and safeties. Uh, in particular, then, you know, you can obviously have a lot of success with that. And then you add in wrinkles to that. And that's where I think you really start, you know, uh, really start kind of having a lot of success. And that's like play action. Then you can really, you know, that everything I just said kind of only gets, you know, taken to the next level as far as um, testing the discipline of a defense and messing with their keys and things like that. Um, you know, like all the different motions and the different personnel packages that you can run it out of. You could do it strong side, weak side, um, you know, so you really can kind of hit every defender on the defense and really kind of focus on them in different ways with all these different wrinkles. Um, so it and then, you know, on top of all that, I think it allows you to plug in offensive linemen that aren't necessarily the biggest, strongest, fastest dudes. 
Now, obviously, quickness is a you know a plus in the scheme, but you don't really need those physical specimens to make the system work either. So you're able to get value in uh, later place, like later rounds, and you know on cheaper deals and things like that. Um, now, you know, Cleveland kind of you know they invested heavily in you know the tackle position, but um, you know it's just and they're pretty heavily invested in their offensive line anyway. They're the ninth, I think their uh, their cap is uh, the ninth most in the NFL towards the offensive line. Uh, but you know that's only going to make the system work even better. I think so. There's a lot of pluses about it, um, and those are just some that I think of initially. Yeah, we're going to chat Browns personnel, how it all fits and comes together. Before we do, I have yeah. something I really think people need to understand, and, and this can be as basic as you think is necessary here. Like when you when you teach the front side, you know, with your tackle, you're, you're running wide zone, you're running it left, outside zone. People call wide, outside, whatever. Um, you know, what are like the basic teaching points you're trying to teach your front side guys and your backside guys so that, that, that people watching have an idea of the, the challenge that is, especially the front side tackle and what he's trying to create for running back, uh, running back relays, things like that? Yeah, so the, the front side tackle on wide zone, obviously taking on the end man, of line, end man on the line of scrimmage is, is critical because oftentimes the running back is reading, uh, you know, that end. Um, so whether the offensive lineman is able to hook him or basically take his inside shoulder and open him up and just drive him to the sideline, you know, that's kind of going to dictate what the runner does from there. Uh, so, you know, that's where I think somebody like Jedrick Wills really appeals to the scheme because he's really adept at really good uh, with his ability to generate torque and rotational force on defenders and that's going to be huge on defensive ends where he's able to get them turned and pushed out. And then that's going to create cutback lanes inside, um, you know, especially with, you know, Batonio and Treader, you know, if they're all coming trying to hook a guy or push him out, you know, that's going to create a lot of lanes. But, yeah, it's really I think that, you know, that play side tackle, that's kind of his responsibility. One of those two things. And I think different guys teach different things and turn, you know, and then also it's based on the alignment of the defender you know if he's really wide obviously you're not going to be able to hook him so you're going to you know generally just kind of going to try to throw him out of the hole you know and just push him out um and you know oftentimes you know because the whole offensive lineman the whole offensive line is moving in one direction it kind of creates a flow in the defense and it's really it's a lot easier to get a guy pushed in the direction he's already moving and to use his momentum against him so I think that offensive linemen are really set up for success in that way to do that. And that's where backside hand usage is huge in outside zone, wide zone, um, you know, or the drag hand is, you know, is another name for it. I wrote a big article about it for USA football a couple of years ago, and I went off a lot of Bill Callahan's coaching points. Um, and Alex Gibbs calls Bill Callahan the, the best wide zone coach he's ever seen. Uh, so, you know, I think Cleveland might have the best wide zone coach of all time. You know, I think it's certainly in the conversation. Um, and one of the things that he really is big on is what he care. I think he calls it a square drag or a square reach, one of those two. But it's basically, you know, where the offensive lineman comes off the ball, stays square and really puts a lot of emphasis on that backside hand and really wants to get that inside the armpit, the inside armpit of the defender. And that's able to create a lot of torque control and you're able to sustain a block on a high level and actually move a guy around um, especially because the defender's moving you know in the direction that you want him to go already 
So um, those are kind of some not just schematic ideas, but also technical technical ideas. I think that are in play for you know people to watch when they're watching the front side of outside zone. Is that backside hand is huge, because then also defenders are going to want to you know sometimes scrape across or you know um, just cross face and get you know on the inside gap and create penetration and blow up the play that's where the backside hand actually prevents that because you already have that leverage point on that inside armpit and you're able to prevent the, the guy crossing your face and you're able to just kind of keep him moving or actually push him around the hole. Um, so I, I would say that frontside tackle hooking or pushing the end uh, out and also the backside hand for all, every offensive lineman across the line, especially on the front side, though, it, it, those are some critical points for people to look out for, I think. I would say two, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, you you have to be in shape to run this stuff. If you're, I mean, some teams sprinkle this stuff in here and there, and it's a part of their package. But like, if you're running this system that that, that predicates itself or your identity is established in running true wide zone stuff, your offensive linemen have to be able to run. They have to be able to endure, and uh, that's probably why they try to fit these guys in sort of those weight categories. Am I right in that think in that thought process? Yeah, I think that's generally right. Um... Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look at and hit over the course of the last, you know, the first time I really saw wide zone at a high level personally was the Broncos, you know, Alex yeah. Gibbs in the 90s. All those offensive lines were the smallest in the league, you know, as a whole. And uh, that's what I was touched on earlier was it allows you to plug more body type or not body types, but more uh, variants of kind of quality of athlete in there. You know, you don't need a great athlete. You need somebody who, like you said, is in, in good shape, is technically sound, fundamentally sound, and who is quick. You know, if he has enough initial quickness, short area quickness, then he can, you know, he can work in the system. So you don't need some freak out there, you know, where, you know, in a gap scheme, you know, you generally want big, strong, hulking type of guys. So this, I think, it allows you a lot more flexibility in who you're able to plug into the system. And then if you have better players to plug into the system, the system can obviously work even better. Um, so, yeah, but I, I do think stamina, endurance, all that stuff is huge, you know, for the system because the offensive linemen are running, you know. So, you know, it's not just more – it's not as much brute strength and, and moving a guy against his will. It's actually moving a guy with momentum a lot of the time and just understanding leverage and pad level – and hand usage and all that type of stuff. And this is why, you know, those those are reasons why I love the wide zone and, and you know, tight zone. And it's my favorite scheme to watch if I had to pick just one because, you know, just how well the offensive line work together over time, especially when they can build continuity and things like that, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, it's where we get a true highlight of how good those guys are athletically. It's just crazy to see men of that size being able to do some of the things they're able to do on the perimeter so well, it's, it, I, I would I would agree. From a guy who's not really trained in this stuff, it is it is one of the more fun things to watch. And like things that'll be interesting with me in Cleveland is is uh, is sort of how they sculpt Baker Mayfield. Will they put him in the short shotgun like Shanahan did Brian Hoyer and Johnny Manziel in 2014? Maybe a place he's a little bit more comfortable that you can still get some true. Uh, I would say disguise nature things off of boot action, things like that, and you still get the same sort of path from your running back. So that's a particular thing of interest to me. And then also you mentioned too, uh, Brandon, the, the the smaller stature of these linemen and the, and the idea that they want to stay out of third and long situations. Like in the NFL, you're going to have to 
you're just going to have to sit in and throw sometimes. There's no way around it. But the Vikings really predicated themselves on staying out in front of the scoreboard, out in front of the clock, and out in front of down and distance. And the Browns will try to do the same things, but you know, I, I'm not, I don't think Cleveland's defense is certainly not on the level that Minnesota's was. So they're going to have to be a bit more aggressive. And Minnesota did some short pocket depth things to help out some of their smaller linemen who were sort of embracing you know, defensive linemen running into their lap. Because that is, that is a weak point. If you're, if you're a smaller offensive lineman, you can move well. You can do the zone scheme things well. But as far as bracing and anchoring bigger defensive linemen, stronger, faster guys coming at you, it can be a bit more challenging. So that brings me to, like, Brown's personnel. I, I, I could be wrong in this thinking, man, and you can totally check me here. And this kind of relates to your recent article, Ranking, Unestablish the Run, Ranking These Offensive Lines. I feel like the Browns have a great mixture of both types here. Now, Jack Conklin, obviously, not the greatest pass blocker, but a guy who's, I think a guy who's able um, to, to, to do those things. He obviously is more highly graded as, as a wide zone blocking guy, and that's what draws the Browns' attention. But like, I think that Joel Batonio has done a variety of different things in his career and has shown the ability to adapt. He came in in this offense in 2014. He had, He's played so many different ones as Cleveland, unfortunately, will allow that like none other different coaching changes, right. but like, you know, JC Treader's been around the block and Wyatt Teller's coming into his own a little bit. And I think he could do my point here is like, yeah, these guys are really, really fit for wide zone stuff. And I think that that's obvious. It doesn't take a, you know, a, a football genius to understand that this is what these guys do well. But also I think like Jed and Jack Conklin can handle absorb pass, you know, three, five-step passing situations. And I also think they're built up front with guard center guard to be able to handle a little bit too. So I guess I'm kind of asking you here, like what's your overall thought of, of this group? Can they can they be a, a, a balanced group that can handle both sort of uh, tough challenges that come with this system? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I'm high on them. I have, I have them as the ninth overall offensive line as of today you know, heading into the preseason or, you know, not preseason anymore, but the season, um, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be a very good line. I have them a tier two uh, with, uh, you know, so they're a top 10 offensive line heading the, the, the season for me. And a lot of the reasons for why you mentioned as far as just being a balanced uh, group of, of individuals that I think, you know, I mean, Betonio and Treader are like ideal. They're like prototypes for the system. Um, in, in my mind, you know, just the, the way that they win, they're, they're very good. I mean, Treader going back to Kate, or Green Bay, um, the way they're able to reach, like Treader can reach a shade, that's critical in wide zone. I mean, yeah. you need the center to be able to reach the shade. Um, and, you know, obviously from the defensive perspective, you cannot get reached by a center if you're a shade. So it's, it's uh, that's one of the probably the, the, kind of the jumping off point to every successful wide zone run that and the tackle, obviously what he does with the end. But um, so I think Treader can definitely reach a shade, uh, you know, at a pretty high level. Um, you know, it's not Jason Kelsey level, but it's, you know, he, he's a good starter. Um, and then Batonio, man, I mean, he, he can he can reach a three. He can climb, pick off linebackers. He can get to the third level. Um, he can cut off the backside shade. Uh, you know, he, he can do it all. So I think Batonio is like the prototype, but then, um, like you said, I mean, Jedrick Wills and, and Jack Conklin, man, I mean, these guys are powerful dudes. Uh, so as far as opening up the front side of runs and, you know, creating a lot of lateral displacement on the backside, um, and creating like big cutback lanes, I think that that we're going to see a lot of that, uh, this season. Um, you know, I mean, Kevin Stefanski coming over from Minnesota. I mean, he just, 
like his offensive line is significantly better now. So as successful as the scheme was last year in Minnesota, the scheme now should be, I mean, in a sense, more successful this year because the offensive line is so much better. Uh, so, I mean, I think that the sky's the limit for this offensive line, man. I mean, you know, and then you mentioned Wyatt Teller. Um, if he's your weak link, based on what I saw on his tape last year and his seven starts or whatever he had, six, seven, eight, um, man, I mean, you're sitting in a really, really good position um, when you look at league-wide offensive line play. Uh, that's a pretty good weak spot to have, um, you know, all things considered. I think he has a lot of promise, and he, I think he's ascending. Uh, and, you know, to be surrounded by a guy like Treader and a guy like Conklin, that's going to help him tremendously. Um, so, man, he's, he's set up for success. And then to have it all come together under Bill, Bill Callahan, uh, I mean, dude, like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I had them as high as I do. And it's because their ceiling is very, very high. And I think their floor is pretty high as well. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree that the ceiling is the biggest change. Uh, the floor, you know, it can improve, and some of that stuff comes with quarterback play and, and design. Much and higher like than that. last year. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would definitely agree. So, like, when, when Pro Football Focus had them ranked relatively high, too, I think as high as six this year, and uh, when they had them the year before, I just they had them really high the year before, and I just didn't, I didn't understand that because, you know, they had almost reached their ceiling with Hubbard and Robinson, and and, and Hubbard is still here, and Lamb still here. They have a nice set of three guys, uh, sort of to back up at those positions. But it's like, uh, I certainly think that there's no there's no sort of guessing game here. The talent is definitely there. I, I'll ask you before we part here, Brandon. You know, Jedrick switching to the left side. I get a wide variety of opinions on this guy who didn't play the left side even in high school. He's been a traditionally right side guy. We get no preseason games, very few uh, live padded practices. I think I saw eight padded practices. Are, are you a little bit worried about that, or do you think he's just so talented as a as a guy who can play up front that he'll be able to handle that eventually? Well, I think people should keep it in perspective. I mean, uh, you know, he's a high pick. And I, I know, you know, people will consider he's switching sides, but I think people are going to have very high expectations of him. And I think they'll probably be too high. I mean, you know, anytime a guy is switching sides, uh, that's going to take some time, especially with the unique offseason that we're facing, uh, that they're facing. Um, you know, there's going to be a period of time early on in the season where he's going to probably struggle. I mean, uh, you know, I would definitely expect that and uh you know i would say week six week seven that's where we should start seeing things settle down uh maybe less mental errors maybe him um you know by week three or four even settling more into his stance his technique his fundamentals where his base is strong his weight distribution is strong all those type of things that's going to take some live bullets flying you know for a few games and the thing is he's going to be tested early and often i mean you got baltimore Cincinnati, Washington, Dallas, uh, Indy, Pittsburgh. I mean, so like all these teams have good defensive ends. Uh, you know, he's going to be seeing monsters basically every week uh, or, you know, very talented players, you know, at worst. So, you know, like Justin Houston, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Clayus Campbell, you know, Carl Lawson, maybe a little – Dunlap, I know Dunlap plays over the right tackle. He's going to see Chase Young, mm -hmm. um, you know. So I mean, like these are tests that you know he's going to go through. He's going to have hiccups. He's going to have some errors, and he's going to get beat. I, I would expect that at least. Um, but you know, all in all, I think he's going to be a very good run blocker day one. 
I think he's going to be a solid pass protector day one, which solid to me is equivalent to average. Um, And average, again, is very good, gets beat. That's just the way it is. But I think he has the capacity to get to the above average level pretty quickly uh, in his rookie season. And then, you know, within that first contract, I expect him to be a monster. Uh, So, you know, um, you know, it's just it's going to take time. Um, There's a lot of factors that are at play. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, he has a great he's, he's set up for success, basically. Great coach, great left guard great scheme you know i mean you know it's it's up to him at this point you know because you know after that after those first few weeks of struggling a little bit you know and and then maybe even later on in the season when he sees an elite competition guy on the schedule the thing is i'm looking at the schedule right now after the first few weeks man i mean there's really not a lot of the competition level for him isn't very high this year which is really nice um is in terms of pure right defensive ends He's not going to see a lot of great players. Uh, you know, there's going to be some good ones for sure. But Philly, Tennessee, I mean, Landry's pretty good, but I don't know. He's not elite. You know, the Giants, the Jets, um, the the Texans, Merciless, you know, is good. But, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that he has a pretty good shot here of, of having a really good rookie year. And that's nice for him because, like I said before, it, it's going to be a challenge getting going. So it might be slow to start, but – much like your opinion of him, I think his his eventually skill level and athleticism will all kick in, and he, he is he is lucky to be around a group I think that is going to be uh, uber talented with a coach that that definitely gets it and will be able to help him bring it along. So this has been great, Brandon. Man, look, I appreciate it. Uh, we don't get this insight from really anybody else about offensive line play. So thanks for taking time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Okay, big shout out to Brandon. Appreciate him joining us, taking some time out of his day. Uh, I know he's got a busy schedule heading into the season, looking at all 32 teams. And I appreciate you guys joining us. Hopefully you're staying safe, enjoying your uh, back half of July here, heading into August. And, uh, you know, I want everybody to have a great weekend. We have a great guest on next week, uh, Andre Weingarten, who's going to talk about Madden's uh, NFL ratings. He's a ratings adjuster there. He does great stuff, and it'll be a fun, interesting topic. We had him on last year. I like to have him on every preseason to talk about the Browns and the process that they use there. So keep an eye out for that one next week. Make sure you're joining us at the OBR. We always appreciate your support. Big time to join us in the subscription model that we have going heading into the season. We'll have great information and great film study as the season starts to get underway. And uh, make sure you review this podcast as usual, giving us a great review on iTunes. We always appreciate your support. So until next time, guys, we'll catch you next week. Till then, go Browns. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.